do turn in a copy of God's Word. The text is, uh, it's actually Luke chapter 22, not 21, uh, but the order of service there highlights it's uh, somewhere around page 880 or 881. It's Luke 22. We're going to be looking at a, a pretty large section uh, you know that moment, if you uh, hearken back to the days of your childhood, uh, you, you might remember and recall the days when you would have a teacher roll in. Those of you who are of a, maybe a, a little bit younger, uh, excuse me, a little older generation where the teacher would roll in a big, you know, gigantic cart, you know, with a big gigantic TV and a VCR attached to it. And that thing that was strapped on there and you wondered if it would fall over and and you were all excited because, you know, it, we're going to get to watch a movie today. And uh, that's, that's exciting. Why do I highlight that? Well, I, you know, honestly, I'm sure that some of you wonder from time to time, Pastor, can't we have like a skit or something here? I mean, wouldn't it be great if you were to put up some video clips and some, you know, some funny reels or something to engage with us for the sermon? Uh, that would be really, really nice. Hey, look, I, I don't have anything against uh, video clips. And those of you who know me, don't think, I don't have anything against technology or, or screens, believe it or not. Uh, I, I actually would hope that we would feel as though God, who has revealed himself in and through creation, but particularly, especially, uniquely through his word and through the sacrament, that you would see, like last Lord's Day when we had... We don't need drama because this is the drama unfolding. We are rehearsing what Christ has done. That when you see this, like last Lord's Day, the baptismal font up here. uh, And this Lord's Day, when you see uh, the table set up for us to come, that you would feel as though that that big screen TV's been rolled out. And we, we see it on display. We need tangible, sensible signs. God knew this. God knew that we would delight to... To, to music that our affections would be warmed. And so he invites us to sing in the context of worship. He also knows that we're, we are a, tang, a, a tangible, visual, sensible thing, you know, sensible signs kind of people. And so he gave us this meal. He gave us this water. It's helpful that we know as a confessional church that we have a resource the Westminster Catechism says, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed and applied to believers. We've been studying uh, the Passion Week of Christ. Uh, It takes up a lot of space in all of the Gospels. And uh, this particular account, this last meal, this last supper, all four Gospels record it as they're building up to uh, Christ's death that he knows is coming and he has told them, though it's been hard for them to believe or embrace. And so I know that you just sat down, but again, in deference to God's word as we read it, would you please stand? This is a long passage, beginning verse 1, Luke 22. Hear this. This is God's holy inspired word. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, that is Christ, to death. For they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. 
He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him, Jesus, to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread and on which, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus went to Peter and John and said, go, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will we, where, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tells, tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room, an upper room, furnished, prepared, uh, prepared there. And they went and found it just as he told them. And they prepared for Passover. And the hour came and they reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after he had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood, but be... Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Lord, the Son of Man, goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader of, as the one who serves. For whoever is the greatest, the one who reclines at table or the servant. Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat. And drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on my throne, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, 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 behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny Three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I speak to you of, of no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, well, nothing. He said to them, but now you now let the one who has the money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scriptures must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, there are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. You may be seated. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Why don't we ask God's help? Father, you told us in your word 
that whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, whatever is commendable, there's any excellency, worthy things worthy of praise that we should think about these things. So help us. Please send your spirit to guide us to feel, to sense the gravity of our condition and that we might cherish the beauty of the cross, Christ's love. It's in his name that we ask. Amen. Over the years, uh, I have had the privilege of uh, walking with people through many valleys and trials, uh, some really tough places. Uh, I've had the privilege of being there when someone's admitted to the ICU or when family are uh, calling forth for hospice care and to be in the home. Uh, And whether you know the person or you don't know the person, it is a solemn, sacred place, right? You you know that when you walk into an ICU, you're, you're, you're not whizzing around and joking about and you, you understand that there's something you've crossed over into something uh, uh, solemn. I kind of get that feeling as we enter into this, this narrative here. And that really is going to be the, the crux of my focus. There, there will be a future time that I'll take up some of the betrayal that Peter and Judas's part in this. But really, it, it, I want to focus on just the institution of uh, this meal that Christ has here. Uh, But you get the sense that it is a solemn, uh, sobering time for the disciples that Jesus had said this was coming and said this was coming. And now he's saying, I'm not eating this meal again until the kingdom. This is what's going to happen. Jesus is talking about dying. He's talking also on the particular day. It's it's their Passover. This is not just a, a, a normal season of life. This is the high holy day of Passover for the Jewish people in this feast. Why is Jesus dying? Why are, the, why are, we, why are they celebrating the Passover meal? The Hebrews, uh, well, there's, there's a lot to be gathered by way of, of meaning. And like I said, it's troubling and, and uh, as much you know, suspicion surrounds that betrayal that Jesus is talking about. I'm just going to focus primarily on uh, the meal. To help us understand it, I've listed in the order of service there uh, just these headings, past, present, future, uh, past, present, future meal. There's this past covenant, old covenant meal. There's a present in view uh, meal that is being instituted, a new covenant meal. And then lastly, there is a future meal of the kingdom to come. The past old meal There's actually two to be one of them is not in view directly, but uh, but it's definitely operative. Uh, and that's the forbidden meal. I'll explain what I mean. The other, the other meal, the Old Covenant meal, is, is, is Passover. So just to give some background, because really, why are the Jews celebrating still to this day, uh, obviously, annually, the, the Passover? I'll come to that. The, the forbidden meal, though, explains why we need all the other meals. That is referring to, of course, also explains why the forbidden meal explains why the world is not the way it's supposed to be. The forbidden meal is, uh, I mean, I, I, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We observe that. Our, our country, our world, there's conflict in relationships. There's brokenness. There is a tragedy, disease. We don't need to just read of it. And some people spend too much time reading about it. And it's way more accessible than ever. But we don't have to read about it. Sometimes we just experience it right in front of us in our lives. 
health problems, relationship problems. There is a sad meal that marks the beginning of the human narrative created as we were in the image of God and enjoying full communion with God, unhindered, unbroken fellowship with God in the garden. Peace with him. God lays before humanity, our our parents, us with them, Adam and Eve. He lays before them a glorious garden and he says, enjoy it all. Have dominion and delight of all this. And he says that there is a meal. There is a tree that you must not eat of. Trust me. I'm asking you to trust me. But of course, in their sin, we know our sin too. It comes to this. God's holy wisdom is there and and Satan appeals to. To this then and he appeals to it with Judas here and it's this God doesn't love you God is not good uh, did God really say this he doesn't tell a full lie he tells a half truth he's holding this out to them you don't he doesn't want you to have this and we say you're right I need to get what I want when I want it how I want it God says to you and God says to me, I I want you to trust me. I want you to do things in the way of my wisdom. I I want you to deal my way when you experience hurt and criticism. Because you have to show love and forgiveness. I want you to enjoy sex. But I want you to do that in the context of a covenant relationship in marriage and purity. God says, I want you to deal with your your money, but I want you to deal with it. I I might even want you to have a lot of money. That's not God's will for everybody. But it is God's will that we would all be generous with that money and open-handed, not greedy. Here's how you deal, God says, with your words and with your worry and with your priorities. And he says, trust me. But in our sin, our parents and we too say, God, I don't trust you. I know what's best and you don't. So now we live under a curse. We live under a curse to this very day, but not without hope. And even that's where this meal, this other meal, this old covenant meal of Passover comes into focus. Let's return to our context. People are gathered in the city of Jerusalem. They are celebrating something. Jesus's timing is is impeccable in this regard because he knows he's moving towards a death And it aligns with Passover week. And he is completely in control. Uh, uh, A few years back, I was uh, training for a half marathon with a a friend of mine. And we would do a Saturday morning run over at Duxbury Beach. and uh, A long run. And uh, he's Jewish. His wife is nominally uh, Roman Catholic. And, uh, and I would talk to him. I remember it was, it was about this time of year. And we were talking about the, the celebration of Passover. We were talking about Easter. He admitted I, he has a difficulty understanding those things. And I said, you know what? This is where it actually connects. These two meals connect here with Jesus. Jesus, an initial audience, they would have had a profound understanding to all of the allusions and uh, the imagery and the references here. Let me... Just read again, uh, back from our passage, looking at verse uh, 7. Came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover uh, for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will we where will you have us prepare it? 
he said to them, Behold, when you find a man, and you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water, you will meet him. Follow him into the house he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher uh, says to you, Where are the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Same thing, verse 13. What is the common word? Passover. Passover. There are different elements to that meal that commemorate the Jews' deliverance as they escape the bondage of slavery uh, in Egypt. There is, I won't explain all the parts. You can probably go read it for yourself just fine. I haven't looked at the Wikipedia on this, so I don't know how accurate it is. But, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, but there's unleavened bread, and that would have been significant because it would have pointed uh, to the, the reality that they did not have time to even prepare and to expedite in their departure. Uh, part of that meal uh, involves bitter herbs. That, of course, is significant. It's representative of, the, uh, of what was to be experienced, their plight. There are four different cups of wine in the Passover meal. And then, of course, finally, there is a lamb. As you recall, the power of God and the the wrath of God was poured out uh, through various plagues on the people of of Egypt. Because of their wickedness and because of the hardness of heart that Pharaoh, their leader, had. So the, the last of those plagues, the last angel to come is the angel of death. And we understand that he would come. And the, the Hebrew people is going to take out the firstborn of all the population. Except for. Who? The firstborn. Well except for who? They would spare the firstborn of the, the Hebrews. Because they had painted over after that Passover meal. The blood of the lamb. And they would put it on the doorpost. And the, the angel of death would pass over that home. Sacrifice is a means of deliverance then and now. Why is blood necessary? Because payment for sin and ransom from slavery and bondage of sin. And because there is a debt. And by the way, a debt must be paid in kind. What do I mean by that? The debt must be paid in kind. I think we get that. Let me give you an illustration. I mean, it's tax season, right? Some of you had to write checks. I had to write a check. Uh, but let's just say the government says, IRS says, you, you're going to owe $4,000 this year that you need to pay uh, to, to us. And you say, okay, uh, I, I prepared a really nice box and there are some, there's some amazing homemade bread. And, uh, and believe me, you're going to taste it. And, uh, and there's, a, there's some homemade cookies. Can we just call this even? Uh, no, that's not, that's not how it works. At all. I know a woman in the South Shore. She found a note on her car one day. It was damaged by the door of the car parked next to her. Presumably scratch on her door. Note on the front of her car. Hey, sorry about the scratch. I would fix it, but I don't have the money. But hey, it looks like you do. Wow. In God's economy, friends, our sin is severe. It leaves us as an indebted people. That's why we say in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. Scripture makes clear, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, physical death. We all know about that, but also spiritual condemnation, separation from the fellowship of God. The people of God after the Passover escape the bondage of captivity 
that God's miraculous signs and provisions to sustain them in the desert, they receive God's law. And here's where the blood comes back into view. It's at the time of the giving of the law on, on Mount Sinai, the Mosaic law that Moses would give to the people, which was a gift, not a curse for them to know more about God. He says this in Exodus 24. He writes, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it, sprinkled, sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. I mean, they were well-intentioned. They were ambitious. They were hopeful. They were intentional. We will obey, but do they? Do we? We, we know the law of God. It's a reflection of his character. He's truthful. He's faithful. He, he speaks and he, he, he's, he's, he has integrity. He's just. We are not. We're fickle. They don't keep the covenant. And the blood points to a life that must be sacrificed to make a covering for their guilt. So they continue to sacrifice animals. That's what the temple and all of the rituals surrounding that. They would continue to do that. And here they are in the upper room. It's Passover. It's this preparatory meal. But interestingly enough, they do not have a lamb. Because Jesus is saying, I am the lamb. It's spelled out as clear as day in 1 Corinthians 5. For Christ, Paul writes, inspired of God. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast. So that's part of the category. Those are the, so the, the, that's the, the old covenant meal that is there. That. Points to now this other meal that we come to, a present meal that he is going to, uh, to pl- place before them. The people in power who plotted against Jesus wanted to silence him. They wanted to kill him. And of course, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's risky. We even read that. They didn't want to do it because they feared the people. It was said right there, I think in verse uh, 1 or verse 2, that they chose to, to, to be careful, Right? They wanted to do it incognito. That's where Judas comes into the picture. He's going to help out the situation because uh, he, has a, he has a price. He's willing. Uh, also, he's persuaded and, and deceived by the father of lies, as, as, as Chad made reference to earlier. Precisely, that's what Jesus called him. And the father of lies is there with Judas. And he says, OK, and he's going to help them find uh, the disciples to turn Jesus over and betray him because They wanted to do it, verse 6 in our text here, in the absence of a crowd. They didn't want the Galileans and the pilgrims and others who had gathered in the holy city of Jerusalem to create a riot right now. They want to just take Jesus out quietly, subtly. That's actually why many people, uh, many scholars say, what's what's going on with the... Uh, You go to a a guy carrying some water and he's going to show you this upper room. It's all kind of like... Mysterious and incognito. It's almost like, remember a few weeks back, a few months back, when in the Gospel of Luke it records that Jesus says, go and find a foal, a donkey. And, and, and sure enough, they find it and it's just there. He's prepared all of this in advance. But one of the reasons that many would suggest that he did it is because he didn't want anyone to know where they were going to be. 
He didn't want it to be an interrupted time. He knew that Judas was to betray him. Even Peter and John here don't know where Jesus is going to go. And so they're looking for a guy carrying water, which would have been odd because it's mostly a woman's duty at that time in ancient Near uh, Near Eastern culture for them to gather the water. So here's the guy and they find this upper room and it's a it's a generous a disciple of Jesus, just like uh, Joseph of Arimathea, as we, we've talked about in previous weeks. They have a, a large upper room. There may have been just the apostles, but there may have been more in that, uh, amongst that crowd. That's why they needed a large upper room. Jesus, again, the chief priest. Verse two, their estimation is Jesus is worth more to us dead than alive. The irony is that Jesus agrees with them. Think about that. Jesus in their presence is instituting a new meal. The last supper will be carried out as and referred to as the Lord's Supper. And then in verse 19, when Jesus says, this bread is my body given for you. Well, what do you think he means by that? Now, I sure I most assuredly do not want to dispel the mystery of what is taking place there. And trust me, many Christians have debated at length over the years about what that meaning is. And if you come from, and many of you do, a Roman Catholic background, or maybe you're still in that, uh, there are beliefs that stem, uh, you know, there's a a mass that is held uh, regularly. It's a reenactment of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's why it's referred to. As an altar. Well, you can see how they might, they very well may interpret it that way. It's a long held belief, uh, but it's not that long held. And I think it's actually under the influence of Greek philosophy that they come to that conclusion, that interpretation that we call transubstantiation, which is uh, why they call it an altar, because it's going to be transformed into the sacrificed physical, literal body and blood of Jesus. That's why the declaration of a priest, if you've been to a mass, I know many of you have, where they will have uh, the, uh, I believe it's the altar boy that comes forward and there's a pillow and there's a little thing uh, with, uh, with, with bells on it. And of course, when they in the, in the Latin would come forth and they will, they will literally say this Latin phrase, hoc est corpus meum. This is my body. Set it down on the pillow, and that is where we actually have our, our, our phrase, the, the, the origin of hocus pocus, is from that. For many reasons, I, I'm not glad to talk to you at length later about why I don't think that's accurate or necessary. What is Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is saying, is referring to something in Passover language. He's still using the Hebrew language here, not Greek philosophy. He would rather the host... Uh, the custom would have been at a Passover meal, the host, the head of the family would have come and he would have broken the bread and, and distributed it. And the phrase that would have been used is this is the bread of affliction that our ancestors in time of in the time of Moses ate. Now, the people, the Jewish people didn't say, oh, well, here's a piece of bread that's a thousand years old, literally. No, they understood that this was a representation of that, not a literal one. They understood it figuratively. Perhaps maybe even a simpler analogy. You've been there before. Although people don't typically do this with a photo album anymore. They just do it with this thing called a phone. You say, oh, look, here's a picture of me. 
Well, you don't say, I mean, this is, you, you might even hold up a picture and say, yeah, that's me. Well, that's not me. I mean, it's, it, is, it, it is a picture, a representation. It's a, a, you, you're ca- but I'm here. This is me. Jesus is there saying, this is my body. But it's not to be confused in the presence of Jesus that we understand who his body is. Nevertheless, we don't want to reduce the mystery and in our tradition that we do believe that there is a meal of remembrance, but it's not devoid of any mystery or significance. We believe this is a sacrament where Jesus is present uniquely, mysteriously. Thanks be to God. It, but it, it, it is a spiritual presence, not a physical presence. It's not merely meant to be a cozy, you know, warm imagery. We are remembering what it's intended to carry. It is actually intended to be carried on. Even the language here and elsewhere where the Apostle Paul says, when you eat this meal. Even the verb tense here in Luke is, there's an ongoing observance of this meal. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but you're going to continue to partake of this. Acts 2, Acts 2, it says, of the early church, they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And when they refer to preparing to break the bread, I mean, they we're not talking about just, just eating. There's more. There's a culmination here. Acts 20, verse 7, the first day of the week when they gathered together to break bread. But Jesus is even pointing to a culmination of something more. The past meal, right? The past meal, the forbidden meal, broke communion with God. And it is through this meal we see represent, represented, and in the future meal, a restoration of that fellowship and communion with God. So let's talk about this future meal briefly. It's actually a true... and. He's alluding to it briefly, but it's a true feast. It's referred to in Revelation as the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a feast that we should long for. It's a a feast that we should anticipate with, with hope. A glorious meal that exchanges our senses and carries on with joy inexpressible into the new heavens and the new earth. John gives us a glimpse of it in his Revelation chapter 19. He talks about how there's a great multitude singing hallelujah. Also, you know, similar to the the hallel, the psalms and the ways that the Hebrew people would have sang. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Praise him for the Lord, our God. Revelation 19, 6 is the almighty. He reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It is it was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Uh, friends, a, 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 a banquet, a, a feast, a marriage, a wedding celebration has a host. And they extend hospitality. They they invite, they they anticipate they, they send out, send for, please come. But to go is, you, ha, you must respond to the invitation. Imagine if you would, a son or a daughter living uh, maybe in rebellion or for some reason is estranged from the family. Maybe they've mocked the family, cheated, betrayed, been disobedient to parents. 
But an open invitation goes out. We're having a feast. Please, please come. Will you? Will you come? Will you be ready? Revelation says the bride was made ready with new clothes, pure and bright. I can't come. There's just too much shame and guilt and it's just dirty. It's ugly. It's filth. It's just not working. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus speaks of of peace and forgiveness and restoration, even for sinners, but especially for those who know they're unworthy sinners. Oh, I, I, hope, I, hope you're, I hope your heart is sensing that. I, I want to spell out what that means, and I want, to, I want us to apply this with some categories of, of thinking here in a moment. The disciples fell away. We know that. Even some in, in, in temporary betrayal and, and, and others, obviously it was worse with Judas. The disciples fell away. Jesus knew it. One New Testament scholar, Dan Doriani, puts it this way. The weakness of the men at the meal establishes their need for the meal. Let me say that again. The weaknesses of the men at the meal establishes their need for the meal. In other words, the sins of those at the meal require the death of the host of the meal. John Calvin, writing on the Lord's Supper, says this. This is the wondrous exchange made by his boundless goodness. Having become with us the son of man, he has made us with himself sons of God. By his own descent to the earth, he prepared our ascent to heaven. Having received our mortality, he has bestowed on us an immortality. Having undertaken our weakness, he has made us strong in his strength. Having submitted to our poverty, he has transferred to us his riches. Having taken upon himself the burden of unrighteousness with which we were oppressed, he has clothed us with righteousness. I I spent so much time just meditating on that yesterday. So Calvin is saying that with this meal, we have this glorious exchange it is the cup of wrath for Jesus, and it's the cup of blessing for me, for us. So what? Well, I think it, every time we come to this table, which is at least twice a month, we should have anticipation and preparation. I regret that many don't in the world. They, they mention nothing of who this is for or why we would fence and guard this table. We don't, we, they, there's, 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 there's nothing. It's just, let's do it occasionally. Let's do it haphazardly. I, I don't want that. Four ways to prepare. One is humility. When Jesus predicts his betrayal, notice what happens afterwards. There's an inward struggle, but there's an outward struggle because in verse 23, it says they began to question one another. Is it you? You think it might be you? Is it me? The, the Gospel of Mark, it records it that says, is it I, Lord? They're, they're, 
They're, they're aware of their own possibilities and tendencies. Of course, they're also arguing about who's going to be the greatest. So they don't have that humility yet. You know how it is. If we make ourselves feel better by comparing ourselves with others. Well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But humility doesn't begin with comparison. It begins with honesty. Second thing I would say, in anticipation and preparation for partaking, participating in the Lord's Supper is humility, but also is to take shelter. By faith, call upon and give thanks for the blood of Jesus because that is your only hope. That's the part of responding to the invitation with a humble repentance. The third thing I would say is, is gravity. Just one word. This is a meal that we observe. It's a serious thing for people to discern their need. The opposite of gravity is levity. And like I said, we don't take it uh, just whimsically. And, and it's not just casually. It's, it's with thought and preparation. It's one of the reasons that we actually have uh, communicants training. And we ask people to speak with our elders, you know, to understand what it is to come to this for our young people. And for those who are not yet uh, baptized to not come. The last thing I would say is gratitude. You know, you, know, you look, at, look back with me to verse 15 and 16 when Jesus says these words. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So in other words, and the Passover meal involved four cups. And Jesus doesn't do the last one. You understand, like, for instance, when you think about um, just the anticipation of people that you know and love, family members, let's say, who are driving in from out of town, and you're excited, and they're slated to arrive at 6 o'clock, and you work during the day, and you set the table, and you prepare everything in advance with great, with a vision of what it'll be like when we're all together eating this meal. And you get word, oh, we're caught in traffic, oh, we, uh, you know, we, 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 we ran into some, uh, you know, to some construction and they're going to be late. Ah, you know, go ahead and eat without us. And, the, and the, the host, the guest says, no, 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 we will wait. We will wait. And isn't that a beautiful thing? That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to observe this meal, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait because I am going to prepare a place for you. And I love you, and I, want, I long for the day that we will be at that wedding feast. Thanks be to God. It's like the woman at, at Bethany that we read of in the Gospels who came to Jesus knowing that he was to die. She wanted to prepare him. She anointed Jesus' body. She, she's, she, she doesn't care. She doesn't care what people think. She doesn't She's so stirred with gratitude and affection and love for, the, for her Savior that she doesn't care what it's going to cost her, what she looks like. She holds nothing back. She pours the whole bottle out. The cost of looking like a fool because she was worshiping her Savior mattered not. So I ask you, Lord, to ask yourself, you know, in that, that spirit of gratitude, because if you're truly humble, if, 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 that is, if, if that's operating, and then if you're truly taking refuge in him, Lord, whatever I'm holding back in pride, I bring it to you. 
Pray something. It's like this. I bring it to you, Lord. Every area, every broken thing, every priority, every sin, every victory, every opportunity. I lay it before you with gratitude. We pray for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus' blood and sacrifice that it speaks to us of peace. We hide ourselves there, Lord. We, we know that that's where our guilt and shame can be covered. Lord, forgive us for our, uh, our neglect. We want to grow, Lord, in discerning the profound things of the faith and our need for Jesus and the significance of the meal that we're about to enjoy. Lord, we do long for the future final meal, that wedding supper, that feast. But as we wait, Lord, comfort, counsel, convict us, guide us, grow us, change us. I pray especially that you would comfort those who are ill and those who are fighting um, cancer. Lord, we, we rejoice today that Roberta is able to be with us. Thank you for answered prayer and restoring some of her health. Lord, we pray for our sister, Kathy. She's been gone for quite some time, caring for her father for a couple of years in Vermont. And even as he draws very close to, to death in that solemn time, I thank you that she is bearing witness and leading her own family to Christ. Comfort her. Comfort Marina and her family as they grieve, as they mourn, as they process the gravity, the weight. There, there are folks, a number of folks that are struggling with ailments, physical ailments. There's, there's Lord, I, I know there's people that feel far from you, draw near to them. Lord, there's people that are in our midst, in our family, our church family who are lonely. Would you meet them? Those who are struggling with relationships at school and at home and the workplace, people are overwhelmed, overcome with temptation and anxiety. Please bring them to your abundance, to your abundant peace and your rest as they, as we walk by faith, and as we pray, as you taught your disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be.